This podcast may discuss topics graphic in nature and possibly triggering to survivors. We value the safety and well-being of all of our listeners. So please practice personal discretion. Now, enjoy the show. Hey, I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. We're the hosts of the Murder Diaries podcast. We bonded over tacos and true crime after we matched on Bumble BFF. You know, like any normal millennial using an app to meet new friends. Every Thursday, we upload a new episode. In each episode of The Murder Diaries, we tell true crime one story at a time. One week, it's my turn. And the next week, it's mine. You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead. This week, Natalie and listeners, we have the case of Haley Anderson. This case is out of 2018, and it is about a young nursing student. She was a late millennial who was a little bit of a hippie and was loved pretty much by everybody in her life. The supports that this woman had in her life and the love that is still so much alive for her is just really beautiful. Her case also really gave me vibes. And I know, Natalie, you were saying this, so I want to give you full credit. It really gives Natalie and I both vibes of the Kaylee Mondotti case that we also covered. So if this case gets you in your feels and you want to also check out that case as well. We covered it just a little while back. So check out Kaylee Mandotti's case after this as well. But of course, both Kaylee and Haley deserve their time to have their stories told separately. So today we're going to bring you the case of Haley Anderson. Haley Anderson was born May 9th, 1995. She was known to be sweet, fun, energetic. She was also known to be like a really sensitive and supportive friend. Her mom recalls her specifically being that millennial hippie we were talking about. Now born in 95, she was a late millennial, but a millennial nonetheless. And she calls her daughter a free-spirited, trusting, and fiercely independent woman. Haley was attending Binghamton University in New York. She got really great grades and actually ended up making it into their nursing program, which across the board, nursing programs are very competitive. So this was going to tack on that fifth year that most nursing students have. So she was going to have another year of school and she was really excited about it and started said nursing program. It's in this nursing program that Haley meets a guy named Orlando. He was a charismatic kind of playful guy. He was pretty well liked and they were friendly in class and whatnot. Now he was born in Miami, but he actually grew up in Nicaragua and he was Nicaraguan. He was the son of a Nicaraguan physician. His family was apparently somewhat well-to-do in Nicaragua and this is how he got the means to study abroad in New York and go to nursing school there. And it also may be where he got the inspiration to go be in the medical field, right? From his father, who was a physician. Now, Haley had an on-again, off-again boyfriend, Kevin. But despite that, Orlando and Haley were a 
bit of a match. They were both social. And what I like to term and what seems to really be painted out when you learn about both of them, that they were work hard, play hard kind of people. So again, with the straight A's that Haley was receiving and nursing school's no joke, like you cannot be dumb and become an RN. It's just, right. it's not possible. Nursing school is so hard to get into. And then it's also hard to maintain those science classes and those nursing classes that it takes to complete. So it's really difficult. And rightfully so. It's a very serious profession. And so it should be taken seriously. Absolutely. As I mentioned, Haley and Orlando knew each other from school and their nursing courses a little bit, but it wasn't until a party that Haley's on-again, off-again boyfriend, Kevin, had where she really met Orlando and formed good rapport and more of a friendship relationship with him. She actually even introduced him to Kevin at the party. So they must have also had other mutual friends or what have you as to how Orlando ended up at this party without Haley or Kevin truly knowing him per se. But so she goes, oh yeah, I recognize him from classes or I kind of know this guy from school. Let me introduce you to the person who lives here, Kevin. Hey, boyfriend Kevin. This is Orlando. And the three of them became really good friends. It's also college though. So you hear about a party and you show up. If you may or may not know someone, that's something that you solve when you get there. Totally. And they seemed like there was a good core group that were all kind of in nursing school and going through all of this together. I'm sure any of our nurses listening may have had a similar experience too. When you're going through something like that, like I recall when I was in graduate school where you just get those group of people who are Mm -hmm. doing what you're doing because it is so all-consuming. So I think they were just letting off some steam, having a good weekend night and they're all over 21 by this point. They're all on their like last-ish year of school. So, you know, exactly. They're all hanging out and the more the merrier kind of thing. And as I mentioned, they became pretty close friends at that point, the three of them, Kevin, Haley, and Orlando. Eventually, Kevin and Haley took one of their infamous breaks, which it seems like This was much more a thing of Haley being that fiercely independent woman, knowing that school's coming to a close sooner than later and not really wanting to be too tied down in a relationship Um, because Kevin and Haley did remain friends for the most part when they were on these breaks and in each other's lives and in their inner circles. But while they were on this particular break, that's when Orlando and Haley started hooking up. And that's really all you can deem it. It was casual. It was somewhat friendly. And there was obviously some chemistry there. But again, Haley kept it across that board where she was really only looking to stay casual right now while she figured out what she wanted to do after nursing school, which again was around the corner. And so she wasn't really looking for an emotional commitment. Right. No emotional tie down so that she could be free to maybe move to California, maybe get a van and redo it and do some van life and freelance and figure out where she wanted to become a full-time nurse eventually. Just get a little freedom after being so tied down for five years or so with school, which completely makes sense and is smart of her. She was always upfront about it because they were sort of hanging out and hooking up and and spending a lot of time together. 
as a pair, they were actually seen as a pretty good pair together. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but specifically their friends remember them being so, quote, good together because they were both really social, you know, that work hard, play hard we talked about, Mm -hmm. and very compassionate. And more than once it was mentioned that they were like the life of the party. So of course the two of them were kind of shining while they were spending time together. It wasn't all just puppy dogs and roses and everyone's so happy that Haley and Orlando were together, though. Kevin, the on-again, off-again boyfriend, had brought Orlando into this Hispanic, Latinx community fraternity that he was a part of. And because he began hooking up with Haley, they pushed him out and sort of ostracized him, kind of kicked him out of the group, if you will, for hooking up with Kevin's girlfriend. Like they were on again, off again, but in the eyes of those around them, Haley was kind of Kevin's girl. And well, it's the bro code. It was bro code. Haley was kind of Kevin's girl and Kevin was kind of Haley's dude. And again, they were on again, off again. So you never knew when they were going to be on and when they were going to be off. So with that, he got booted out. And we're not justifying that men should have a say of who's their, you know, who a woman can date and who she cannot date. We're just saying that that's how this fraternity was dealing with this situation. It was their bro code that, uh, you know, you don't date another member's ex-girlfriend. I just wanted to clarify. Exactly. And we'll say it again. Kevin was just as much Haley's on again, off again as Haley was Kevin's on again, off again. It was a shared relationship. But so with that, Orlando's being a bit ostracized or kind of being forced out of this group, just a little more unwelcomed into this, with this group. While this is going on, Haley did stand by Orlando and was there for him like as a friend. Again, the relationship was very casual when it came to any intimacy, any hooking up, what have you. Again, she made that very clear. Haley's not necessarily here to tell her side of things, but Kevin mentions that he always thought that they'd end up together and he really loved her. So like we mentioned, they were each other's lobsters kind of, at least at that stage in their life. They always ended up back together after one of their breaks and this was no different to Kevin. So I think that's where some of the anger comes from too, right? This is probably someone I'm going to be getting back with. We're just going through something. Mm -hmm. And again, this probably came from the independence that was really sought out at this time in Haley's life. So we don't blame her for that. The world was about to be her and everybody else who was graduating's oyster. Now, Haley and Orlando, if we're going to talk about their relationship here for a minute, they had times that they definitely argued and got into it a little bit, but they also had times where they were great and laughing and vivacious, just as explained earlier on. And they ended up taking sometimes also while they were like hooking up, kind of seeing each other, where they took some distance as well, where they weren't really talking, where they weren't really seeing each other. And they had to just suss out what this casual relationship was because ultimately it seemed like they wanted different things. Like maybe Orlando was a little more serious about this and Haley was having a difficult time getting him to be on that page and understand like, if this is going on, then this is what I want out of it. Even during these times where they would take this distance from each other, he would get a little bit obsessive. He started just like showing up at her her and her roommate's house and would just like 
smoke a cigarette on the deck or just like be kind of weirdly around their home. And sometimes one of their roommates, Josie recalls having to like go out there and tell him like, leave, like y'all are not on right now. Okay. She's not interested in seeing you. It's not right now, like go away. And he was basically keeping tabs on her. And that's where the red flag comes in. He wanted to know who was she around? Was she home? That kind of weird stuff, like what's going on for Haley right now? Well, we're not really talking much. Well, and it's also a little bit intimidating. He's making his presence known. So if there had been another male companion of whatever kind, it would have been a little intimidating. Like, oh, this guy you used to hook up with is standing out on the porch smoking. Should I be worried? Perfectly put. If that wasn't already enough of a red flag for Haley to see, she was about to get another massive red flag. All right, tell me about it. I need to know. We know that Kevin and Haley were on again, off again. We've been talking about this. Well, when Orlando and Haley are taking a break from their casual relationship, Haley and Kevin pick back up again. Not surprising to anybody around them. He, one night, had spent the night at Haley's house And when he went to leave in the morning, he notices something's off with her car. It doesn't look like it's sitting right. And upon further investigation, all four tires were slashed. Haley takes to Snapchat and sort of tongue-in-cheek posts it as a video to everybody. And the caption, the little text banner that she put on top of the video says, welcome to my life. So she's almost putting Orlando on blast. Basically. For at least those in the know. Yeah. It also shows you that while being annoyed, she was making the best of it Mm -hmm. and never truly viewed these red flag incidents as that she was in complete danger of anything, which we know we would be telling her story, unfortunately, if it did end well. But it does show you a little bit of the snapshot, right? It means things like this are happening a lot. And again, she wasn't truly totally showing fear right? if she was feeling any fear. And who really believes something bad is going to happen to them by someone that they love or care about or have an intimate relationship with? True. And Orlando denied it. He said, no, that's not me. Either way, Haley ends up making a police report after being urged to do so by her mom. And rightfully so. This is not okay that that happened to your car. And it's expensive. Yeah. In fact, it was so expensive that it actually played into Haley not pressing charges against him after filing the report. I know, I know our listeners are like screaming, I'm sure. But here's why. This event of the tire slashing ended up costing more than $600 in damages, which made it a felony in New York State. I don't know what went into calculating the over 600. I don't know if they're talking about the tow and the tires or what have you, because I know tires can be, you know, three, four, five hundred dollars mm-hmm. on a regular vehicle. So regardless, everything that they took into account from this event 
was more than $600 in damages that she was able to, you know, put into a police report and that would go into his charges being filed if she had done so. So she says, look, I'm not going to file charges against him and put him in a situation where he's being charged with a felony because for Orlando, this could have gotten him kicked out of nursing school. That is life altering. Mm -hmm. And he's just making a jealous statement in her mind, right? Right. He's making a jealous statement. This isn't right. But I think I made my point with the police report and I got this Mm -hmm. kind of thing. After this incident, she continued to keep her distance from Orlando for a while. And no other similar events like that are mentioned since the tire slashing that I can find. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't anything else that happened, whether it was lesser scale or anything like that. It's just nothing's really been mentioned in any resources. Haley overall still trusted Orlando and eventually she did let him back into her life. After about six months of bringing him back into her life, we land in March of 2018. On Wednesday, March 7th, 2018, Haley was about to graduate from nursing school in May or June upcoming, and she's just living life. She has a great night on this night of the 7th with her roommates. They have some wine, they play some games, and she just enjoys girl time with her roommates, Michelle and Josie. The girls stayed up pretty late, and that went into... March 8th of 2018, they wake up in the morning and she's not awake yet. They don't see her up and moving about. They text her, they didn't get an answer. So they're like, okay, she's definitely still sleeping. She liked to sleep. So this wouldn't be too weird for her. She was known for, when she's in her work hard, play hard mode, she was known for definitely sleeping it off. And it sounds like they had a lot of wine the night before. So... Like you said, she worked hard, played hard, and then needed a recovery period. Definitely. So nobody was worried at this point. But the whole day goes by and no one ends up seeing or hearing from her that whole day. And several attempts to contact her had been made, but the roommates just figured, okay, she'll be back. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't have a specific timeline of when the roommates went from texting her to see if she was awake yet to when they discovered, oh, she's not home at all. She's she's gone. Mm-hmm. We don't have an exact timeline. But once they did figure out that she wasn't there at all, they figured, yeah, she'll be back soon. And, you know, one of the roommates remembers thinking, you know, she's a big girl. We don't need to keep tabs on her. And remember, she was free-spirited and really cherished her independence. So she might be that roommate that doesn't always like let her roommates know when she's going somewhere or maybe something did come up after they all went to bed and she headed out early in the morning to go do something that she wanted to do. They just weren't gonna, you know, try and pin her down or or bug her. They figured she'll come back. She always does. And let's remember They were 23 and Haley was super active socially. So I totally get this. Right. It's not the the roommate's job to keep tabs on her. Obviously, they care about her and they want to know if she's okay. But at this point, they don't think anything's wrong. No. And they know they're supposed to see her that night. Well, that night comes and she doesn't show up to the poetry reading that she promised her roommate and basically like best friend 
that she would go and support her. So this roommate was going to be reading at this poetry night and Haley told her, yep, I'll be there. She never shows at all. And not only does she not show, but no text, no phone call about, hey, this is going on. I'm sorry, I won't be able to make it. I'll make it up to you. Nothing. And this was this was important, arguably, to the roommate that Haley be there. She was about to read you know, a piece of emotional poetry. That's a really vulnerable spot. You need your people there. And Haley was going to do that for her. Like you mentioned at the top of the episode, it's been stated multiple times that Haley was a very supportive friend. So Mm -hmm. this is not something that she would just let pass without acknowledging. Definitely. That night still went by though without Haley ever showing. And it leads into Friday, March 9th, 2018. The roommates finally resolved that, look, something's wrong. We haven't seen her since the night of the 7th, early morning, March 8th, whenever they had gone to bed from their girls' wine night. It's around the same time that it's discovered Orlando is missing too. Friends start to wonder, did they go off and elope Mm -hmm. somewhere together What is going on? Police received two phone calls within an hour of each other reporting Haley missing and Orlando missing. And the first call actually came from Orlando's sister and she was requesting a welfare check so that they could see if he was okay. Like, where's my brother? Police heed this request for a welfare check and they arrive at Orlando's home and nobody answers. They also discovered that Orlando's car was not at his house. Meanwhile, Haley's roommates finally locate where Haley may be by using the Find My Friends app. We don't know if this was something that they had to get sneaky about and like log into her accounts and turn that on or if they already followed each other, which many girls in their 20s already turn this on for each other so that we know where each other are, especially during nights out, so we can find each other. Um, Whether it's for safety or just for, oh, okay, yeah, she went there. Like, you know, it's just important to know where each other are. So uh, we don't really know um, how long that took or at what point during the day that they ended up finding out through the Find My Friends app as to where at least her phone was. Presumably, they're thinking Haley is with her phone when they find out where it's pinging, and you'll never guess where it pings. They see that the Find My Friends app is showing that she is at Orlando's. Now, the roommates were already kind of feeling like, look, this guy is a little bit possessive. He's done some things we consider red flags, the tire slashing. They know all of these things. They live with Ailey. So they think she's not answering and her phone's over there. We're going over there to see what's going on with these two. So these girls get in their freaking cars, drive over to his house, and her badass girl squad freaking climb into his house through a window Whoa. when they don't answer. Yeah. So we love them. We love them. We love them. But also never do that because you never know what you're going to find. You don't know if they have guns at the house or anything, but great job to these girls it worked out in their situation. Perfectly put, because let's remember, these are girls in their like earlier mid-20s busting into a house Mm -hmm. where no one is answering when they knock 
and they think their friend that's been missing for almost two full days now is in there. And they were pretty terrified and rightfully so of what they might find in there, I'm sure. And rightfully so, because what they did find in there, they'll never forget. And it's something that no one ever wants to see. After entering the apartment through the window, Michelle was just ahead of Josie. So Josie boosts Michelle up and then Josie climbs in through the window right behind Michelle. Michelle is walking ahead of Josie and then all of a sudden screams to Josie to call 911. She had found in Orlando's bedroom, Haley's lifeless body. Josie recalls that when they found Haley's body, they didn't know if she was dead or not. She just looked pale and they had no idea what had happened. Orlando was nowhere to be found. And of course, the girls call 911. An autopsy would later officially state her cause of death as asphyxiation by neck compression. By that afternoon, two detectives had informed Haley's mom that she had been murdered and the search for Orlando was on. We didn't know, is he in trouble? Did he do this to Haley? We got to find him. Luckily, outside Orlando's house, there were cameras. And I know I keep going back between like apartment and house. They look like little row houses almost, but like maybe sectioned off into apartments. Mm -hmm. I don't know a ton about the area. It is a university area. So these types of living quarters are totally common. So as I mentioned, outside Orlando's house, there were cameras. These cameras told a dark story right away from the footage. On March 8th at 3.14 in the morning, Orlando and Haley were seen entering the home. So after girls' wine night, Haley left her house in the early morning hours and connected with Orlando. Haley was never seen on those cameras again after that footage from around 3.14 a.m. But Orlando was. At 10 a.m., that same morning, so about seven-ish hours later, he was seen leaving the house alone. They were also able to tell by way of a CVS pharmacy receipt that Orlando had purchased Zequil, a sleep aid, and melatonin, another sleep aid. He's then seen returning home and going inside, and he wasn't seen for another seven hours after that. In the next footage from the seven hours later, I was just talking about he's seen heading down into like a basement area. It's kind of confusing if you haven't seen the property, but so he was going around outside into maybe a basement area where presumably he grabbed some eye hooks, which are smaller hooks. You'll see them in backyards or inserted into wooden planks a lot to hold on to things such as a bird feeder, things like that. It's a smaller metal hook to hang things on. So presumably, he went to the basement where some eye hooks were being stored and grabbed some. He then takes these eye hooks into the main house and puts them into a doorway. I think there was about three or four. He made a noose out of a golden colored tie and presumably attempted unsuccessfully 
to hang himself. Now, do we know if he used the Zequil and melatonin to aid in his attempted suicide or did he use them on Haley to sedate her and make whatever he did to her easier? That's a question that a lot of us still have. No resources have fully stated that Haley's body had that in it. Mm -hmm. So we can presume with deductive reasoning that he purchased that maybe to use on himself or maybe another option would be to plant near Haley to seem like that may be what killed her as an overdose. But again, we're not sure. And those are just absolutely presumptions. So they're just talking points, really. Just another example of when we cover cases, you never really get the full story because... Right. There's only so much information out there. Investigators may know. It's just not been reported on. It's not public knowledge. Perfectly put. So back to our timeline here, Orlando is back inside his home and essentially making a noose and unsuccessfully attempting to hang himself. What is presumed is that he hurt himself in the process because there were blood droplets beneath where the tie and eye hooks were left. Investigators also found a note and the note was in Spanish. And it included some pretty telling sentiments. And it is as follows. Lamento mucho esto. I am so sorry for this. Jamás me sentí capaz de hacer esto. I never felt capable of doing this. And finally, papi, te veo pronto. Dad, I'll see you soon. His dad had died five years before this, around 2013. At 8.22 p.m., Orlando is seen leaving his apartment for the final time. He made his way to the airport and boarded a flight for Nicaragua. He made it there safely and now uh, it would be up to Nicaraguan authorities to capture him. He had dual citizenship, which complicated things. Remember, he was born in Miami, but had grown up in Nicaragua. So this was something that really complicated this case for investigators. When he landed in Nicaragua, his mother picked him up and drove him three hours north to his hometown. I'm going to be leaving the names of these places in Nicaragua out of this episode in solidarity with the political climate in Nicaragua in the country the media is very much disliked and untrusted. And this was also expressed in the documentary and they had to tread very lightly to even be there and cover certain portions of this case. So we'll go ahead and leave the names out and also just out of respect for his family and friends. Do we know if the mom was aware of what he had done or was she just thinking her son was returning home from a bad breakup or you know what I mean? Like, what do we know about her consciousness of what had happened? When she first picked him up at the airport, it seems like maybe she didn't know too much. But as time went on and U.S. authorities were looking to Nicaraguan authorities for assistance and finding him, mm -hmm. once they found out that he'd gotten on a plane that was going to be landing there, uh, the case was everywhere in the U.S. and in Nicaragua. It was covered everywhere and that he was being looked for. So maybe eventually she found out, but things start happening pretty quickly once he makes it to his hometown. 
So he's in his hometown under the radar. And meanwhile, U.S. authorities are trying to figure out how the hell they're going to get him back to the U.S. and if Nicaraguan authorities are even looking for him after they alerted them. And four days later, on March 13th, they get an answer. On March 13th, Orlando was driven to the hospital an hour away to get medical attention for the wounds from his suicide attempt. The wounds appear to be on his face, like near his forehead brow area that you can see from pictures. He sort of has like a gauze-ish patch there. And it's at the hospital on March 13th that Orlando was arrested by Nicaraguan authorities. We know that U.S. police contacted Nicaraguan National Police, but we don't know 100% how the hospital visit led to this arrest. But nonetheless, it did. On March 17th, 2018, Haley was laid to rest by her loved ones. Two months later, Haley was honored at her college graduation with her cap and gown, cords, and a picture of her set up on a chair in memoriam. Her dad accepted her diploma on stage in her honor. On Orlando's side of things over in Nicaragua, he wasn't required to enter a plea or anything when he was arrested, and the fight to get Orlando extradited to the U.S. was on. An existing treaty between Nicaragua and the U.S. does not require either country to extradite one of its own, and Orlando was a citizen of both countries. So again, there's that complication of his dual citizenship. Mm -hmm. Who has the jurisdiction, so to speak, to charge and try Orlando? And let me tell you, both countries seemed to want to be the one that did that. In September of 2019, the DA at the time got a call from the Department of Justice and found out that no, Orlando wasn't going to be extradited to the U.S. However, the good news was that Nicaragua was going to try him. In the U.S., Orlando was charged by grand jury of second-degree murder. Nicaragua was going to try him for a very special type of charge called femicide. Remember, this is not a charge that we have here in the U.S. And the DA at the time was really skeptical that they were going to successfully charge and convict him in Nicaragua. So he was worried about that. Do you mind just explaining what femicide is for our listeners and myself too? Sure. Now we know the word homicide, right? Death of human, right? Murder of a human. Femicide specifies that this death was a death of a woman who was in a relationship with the person that killed her. And you bring up a good point in questioning what exactly it is because we don't have it here in the U.S. And we don't really truly know why Nicaragua and I think some other countries make this distinction between just saying homicide and going a step further to say femicide. What I picked up on is that it also is encompassing that domestic violence component to it. And they seem to take it very seriously because let me tell you, the charge for the femicide that he was facing conviction of had the possibility of a much larger conviction than second-degree murder here that he would have been facing in the U.S. 
And that plays into something we're going to cover about this case in just a few moments. So here we are. Nicaragua is going to try him for femicide. The U.S. has also charged him with second-degree murder by way of grand jury. And Orlando entered no plea because he was not required to do so in Nicaragua. The Broome County DA's office was asked by the Nicaraguan prosecution team to participate and help in the trial, which was great. They were super honored to be a part of that. They only had eight days to prepare, though. So to get their case together, the portion that they were going to cover and participate with, eight days. But they did it. And it was quite the feat because they had to figure out how are we going to get witnesses from the U.S., which play a major role in the prosecution, to a courtroom in Nicaragua? Well, they set up teleconferencing. And listen, this is pre-COVID, okay, people? So not everybody had all these Zoom accounts and technology to meet the requirements that you need to have a stable connection and all of these things. So to put that in perspective, they were starting from scratch to get this teleconferencing set up, but they did. So they used some type of teleconferencing technology to allow for all involved in this prosecution team and the witnesses, et cetera, that were going to be testifying against Orlando to be able to be in that courtroom during the trial. The trial began October 1st, 2019, with a judge in Nicaragua set to make the decision. So no jury in Nicaragua, the judge, who just so happened to be a female judge and quite the badass. She's very cool. I enjoy what I've learned about her thus far. She was going to be making the decision as to him being guilty or not of femicide. The prosecution basically used everything we've already talked about that it had incriminated Orlando, the suicide note, the video footage, the friend's testimony of Orlando's behaviors throughout the relationship, including the tire slashing. Her mom was a big part of it. She was actually the first to testify. Orlando's defense would claim temporary insanity at the time of the murder. They claim he doesn't remember anything of how she died due to a night of really heavy drinking. And basically that Orlando woke up after that night of heavy drinking to Haley being dead. So if he's the one who did it, then it was temporary insanity because he was too drunk to know what he was doing. A psychiatrist gets involved and assesses Orlando and they testify, look, Orlando's state of mind at the time of the murder, there's no way to know that. I can't assess for that. But what I do know is there's nothing wrong with his state of mind currently. Since I've been working with him, nothing's wrong with his state of mind. The judge gives Haley's family the closing remarks, the last word to the court and all listening. It was a super empowering moment that Haley's family got to speak on her behalf. After 90 minutes of, we'll call it, deliberation, of her own, the judge comes back and says, I've got my decision made. When she announces her decision, she spoke up about women's rights and really showed her passion for that, if you will. She ended up finding Orlando guilty of femicide. Two weeks later, he was then sentenced, and that sentence was for 30 years in Nicaraguan prison. 
Let's talk about that prison for a minute. This is a type of prison where Orlando will only be receiving a small meal once a day of rice and beans, and the rest of the food has to come from his family. He's lucky that he's known to be from a bit of a well-to-do family in the area, at least. So he's probably receiving food, but it just is a reminder of like what kind of prison like he's in. Like mm-hmm. he's going to be relying on family to um, take care of him again and on days that they can't or don't, it's rice and beans. I wonder if he regrets fleeing to Nicaragua rather than staying in the U.S. and getting tried. Did he really think he was going to get away with it? Who knows? But like, it seems to have backfired. It backfired big time. And if you really break it down, remember the DA was pretty unsure that they would even get some kind of conviction in Nicaragua. So maybe he was of that same thought, like, oh, I'll go home. I'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Well, now it's rice or beans for you, buddy. With that, Haley's family and the DA's office are eternally grateful for just the collaboration and work of Nicaraguan authorities, the prosecution team, the judge, everything just ended up falling into place to get this rightful conviction. I want to state something I think's really important and telling in this case. Orlando's Nicaraguan community really still stands behind him. Uh, friends of his that he grew up with totally back him. They don't really understand how he could have done this. One of his friends states that she feels like she's missing something. And I get that. She doesn't understand how this friend that she cares so much for that she grew up with went from the person she knew so well to a murderer. And that can be confusing. So I get their point of view. And we hear that all the time with all the stories we've covered. We hear so many loved ones and uh, acquaintances say, I can't believe so-and-so would do that. All the time. And it makes since you know them at a different level than those of us who are just researching a case and telling it in a 30-minute hour-long podcast. Let's talk about where Orlando is today. Orlando's defense appealed and requested a new psychiatric assessment by a different psychiatrist. It seems that they had a specific psychiatrist in mind. It was one that was more specialized in temporary insanity cases. So that's something they wanted. They wanted to do that again. They wanted another assessment. They also argued that he deserved a lighter sentence. Why? They said, well, in the U.S., his charge is second-degree murder. That comes with a lighter charge than what he received for femicide here in Nicaragua. Well, in February of 2020, he was denied the new request for the eval, but they said, we're going to look into the lighter sentence. We're going to we're going to check this out. We're going to think on it and see what the right decision may be. On March 10th, they had that decision made and his appeal for a lighter sentence was denied. His sentence and conviction would stand as they still do today. Haley's mom hopes that by telling Haley's story, we can bring attention to femicide in the US and maybe even bring this charge to U.S. courts. So for Haley and her family and her friends, today, we told her story too. And that's where we're going to leave it for this week. 
Until our next episode, you know where to find us at the Murder Diaries Pod on Instagram, at the Murder Diaries Pod at gmail.com, and the Murder Diaries Podcast.com. And if you haven't already, go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It helps us keep the good content flowing. Your five stars mean everything. And until then, stay safe. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.